I just I just realized what we do. What? It's, it's so it's actually so easy. Okay. Oh my gosh. So easy. Okay. The first word of every episode should be alpha. And the last word of every episode should be omega. The alpha to the omega. I think easy. It's based no, on the Greek alphabet. Yeah. It's, it's, I think the first word of the first show should have been alpha, and nope. the last word of the last show should have been omega. We can change that. <laughs> we can retcon this whole thing, <laughs> because we control the recording. So you go back, you drop change in the recording zero. of the word alpha at the beginning of episode zero, or mm-hmm. one, whichever you prefer. Zero. Okay. Go back and make alpha the first word, dude. Retcon it. <laughs> <laughs> I have, we I have, have the power. I have the perfect theme song, actually. Really? Well, for um, for the privacy stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is a, a Frank uh, Pasquale tweet or retweet. Turn me on to this thing. It's uh, a hymn. Ooh. A hymn all about a that that I guess sings the praises of a one of these data brokers. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. It's really great. Maybe I'll use that as a theme, or maybe I'll just link the. Maybe I'll just link the. You YouTube can certainly button. put it in show notes. You oh, absolutely. Have to put it there. Yeah, I think I'll just have it playing on a loop throughout today's entire conversation. Yeah, put it in the background. This American lifestyle. Yeah, I like it. I've always wanted to do that. What's stopping you? I, nothing. Not a darn Cer- thing. Certainly not capacity. You are able. You are. You are a stellar <laughs> star. <laughs> no, no, I do. <laughs> that actually might be a limitation. No, I don't know. no, no it might be. It's not true. Uh, I, I feel rusty. Do you feel rusty? Do you, can rusty. you hear it? It feels a little creaky, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, we got to take a wire brush to this thing. Get get some of the rusty. Crust a little off. ten woodsman kind of yeah oil can kind of thing. Because <laughs> it's been it's a amazing. Couple, we how took quickly, two weeks off. I have a new gate at my uh, house, mm-hmm. and beautiful gate, and uh, created by a local uh, iron sculptor and um, guy named Phil, and it's really really wonderful and. Bill and I traded the this wood burning stove I had, and he made this gate for me. And uh, <laughs> what's so wonderful about it is, I do want to hear more details about Phil and the nature of your transactions with this man named Phil. <laughs> Listen, all right, all right. Just let me tell you the <laughs> okay. what the fact I'm trying to get to here. Okay, here we go. Which is that he hung the gate um, maybe two weeks ago, and within just a few days, it had already developed a very nice creak. It's not loud. But it's it's you can hear it and it's really wonderful. Does that add to is that uh, is that a feature of a gate or is it that is a for bug? me? I mean, it's this iron gate and it's got this creak and it sounds just right. Really? Yeah. Love it. <laughs> to me, it made it. It was like, ah, now it's a real gate. Do you like know, you, t- speaking of um, speaking of Internet things. That's. <laughs> Are, are you checking? <laughs> what does that mean? I think only because you're checking your email over there. Uh, actually, I'm trying to deal with this a weird error signal that I got. 
Hmm. So what's up? What's the internet? It's funny. Our podcast never throws an error. We should, <laughs> we should figure out how to like throw an error in mm, our podcast. What's it like that. to listen to an error? Um, maybe people feel like that's what the show sounds like all the time. Hmm. Just throwing errors. Uh, two internet things. We should change our, the name of our podcast Since to we, 404. <laughs> I had a blog post called 404 Argument Not Found one time. <laughs> <laughs> Argument um, Not Found. Two, so two big internet things since last time we spoke, Joe. Okay. One, the amazing, amazing live stream on twitch.tv of Bob Ross, every single show of The Joy of Painting. Yeah, pretty amazing. How amazing was that? No, I didn't see any of it on Twitch. Oh, boy. But you're relating how much you were enjoying dipping in and out of that from from a few moments here yeah. and there. Prompted me to search for them on YouTube. And I watched um, the very first episode, mm-hmm. watched a chunk of that, watched a chunk of a few other episodes, a yeah. few minutes here and there. And yeah. the, the, sort of, um, the sort of Zen master verbal comments that he yeah. offers along the way. Let um, it go. Let it go. It was really great. Follow the lay of the land. Yeah, I know it's... Hence w- that Laura Mipsum generator that I... Yeah, sent you sent you, that, yeah. I sent and- you the link to. I thought it was, and I think watching on YouTube is great, but the Twitch thing. So first of all, you know, if you don't know what Twitch is, Twitch is a place where people have before, and I guess they're expanding into this creative channel, but pretty much people play video games and they stream it for other people to watch. Right. Now, if you're an old person like me and you have kids, uh, maybe you're starting, you know, maybe you've already recognized that the kids are into this, watching other people play video games, Mm -hmm. which sounds to a lot of people like, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just play the video? But, but it is entertaining. Um, I can tell you, uh, and in particular, what it offers for, uh, for Bob Ross is a chance it, it does something that the asynchronous internet kind of took away from us. People watching Hulu and Netflix at different times, like the idea that you're doing something at the same time as a mm. bunch of other people I see. is okay. it's fulfilling, right? It's like one of the reasons people watch the Super Bowl, even if they don't care about yeah. football, it's because there's a sociality to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like everybody's doing this thing at the same time or mm. watching the season finale of whatever of dallas or whatever series there's an element of that which goes beyond your enjoyment of the thing itself yeah right the fact that you're all doing this together yep so the shared experience of watching uh bob ross on twitch was i think what hmm, it's the the chat room Mm -hmm. right it's the fact that there's a live chat going through and 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 there there were uh at any given time between forty and 60,000 people on watching the stream all at once. And I think for the last episode, it went to the hundreds of thousands. But, wow. uh, and they were, you know, typing and chatting. And the chat was going so fast that you could only kind of get a sense, mm. right? It was just streaming by. Right. Um, but a lot of people would type the same thing, right? Because they developed these Bob Ross memes. And when he said them, they would type them, yeah. right? Um, like when he says uh, um, magic white, he doesn't say white. He says white. And so people would type HW. H-I-T-E, mm. in all caps, right? Uh, or when he would clean his brush. Did you, did you see this on the thing? where sure. he would, Yeah, he, and he would talk about using oil, uh, odorless paint thinner. Right. And then he would kind of uh, swish it back it and forth. Frame. And then he would whack it on the, thra- on the frame and, and he would laugh. He's, and he would talk about how it's his favorite part. And he said, just beat the devil out of it. Right. And so people would say, rip devil. <laughs> right. Every time he did, even if he didn't say anything about it, or devil zero Bob one. <laughs> And it would just stream by, like you'd right. just be, get a sense of this. Now, here's what I like about it, though. This is not a bunch of people getting on to make fun of Bob Ross. No. It is the truly opposite of that. celebratory. Right. And it was, you know, that 
people were mesmerized by this. I, I just thought that was like, and there are elements of, you know, of course, with that many people on and a certain kind of demographic, there's going to be, there was some sexism and there's mm. other things, you know, there's some nastiness. But... This is a little bit of sewer element that goes on in any kind of chat room, right? right. But, but by and large, it was like people really loved, I mean, it was celebrating him in, right. in his own way, on his own terms, not making him, not using him as a means to fun. Right. But, and to tell a cheap sociobiological just so story, um, why not? Uh, you know, we we love these things because the 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 primates that loved them back in the day, as they sat around in their circle grooming each other and picking the bugs off each other, um, they're the ones that made it. Yeah. So, yeah. We love it. Doing things together. It's part of our history. Yeah. It's all just different versions of the of being in the circle picking bugs off each other. <laughs> and it feels great. And it is great. That kind of gets at the topic for later today. Anyway, we, or, or, or for next time, I guess. Um, the other internet thing that happened, which is yeah. kind of like this. Did you see any of the Shia LaBeouf? Is it LaBeouf? I don't know. And no. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do know. I saw a reference to it. This is... <laughs> video of him watching himself in movies at live stream so he so at the angelica theater in new york it's a great movie theater i've never been there they scheduled um all my movies the event where they they showed all of shia's movies Mm -hmm. in reverse chronological order okay and as you know you know how much i like reverse chronological order oh i didn't know that well that's why i prefer twitter over facebook right We've talked about this before. Oh, oh right? yeah, no, that, yeah, in that <laughs> sense. This yes. is a callback, Joe. This is, this is a callback to earlier episodes. Okay. Anyway, uh, so they showed all of his movies in reverse, and he's, like, continuously. Yeah. So for over three days or something like this, 72 hours or something like that, and he stayed awake and watched them all. Mm. And other people could come in and watch. You know, they were lining up and cycling in. Right. And they just had a camera. On him. On him, with no sound. Although you could go to another site and get the sound apparently Interesting. okay and you just watched him watching his movies making you know laughing or covering his face or wow falling asleep so i saw what i saw was reference to someone on twitter saying that they that they found the live stream of him watching his movies much better than any of his movies oh he's got some good movies though i'm just saying that's what this person yeah. said well they, you can disagree with there that was something magical magnetic about this whole thing. I mean, it was a great piece of performance art. And I, you know, I didn't watch, you know, it's, it's not like I had it on all the time, although there were some people tweeting how in their offices they had projected up on the wall, right? <laughs> as they were working, he's just there, right? And it's like comforting to have it there. Um, I, I, it's, it's amazing. I, 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 you know what I was thinking about as this, as I was looking at this and watching it happen. Okay. How much better things are today than when we were kids? They're, they're, yeah, well, they're quite different. They're, I think it's just amazingly ways, better. In some ways, they're better. Um, I think in every way, it's better. Okay. I love that. You're, an op- you're truly an optimist. Well, it's just, like, how would you ever do these things before? You wouldn't. It used, you would, you would do when other we things. Were kids, in, you would do different things instead. You would do different things, yeah. But, I mean, when we were kids, I'm just, think about all these debates that have come on. Like, the Republican and Democratic primary debates, for example, right? So, you know, there have been too many of these things, and they're nuts and all this other stuff. But... Uh, when we were kids, there'd be a debate. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And Tom Brokaw and a few other people would talk about it and it would be over. John Chancellor. Right. And maybe you would talk about it in your office the next day or with someone else. Right. But now 
now it's it's uh, people take to Twitter, they take to Facebook, they um, they make parody videos. Like there is a social accountability that happens now that didn't before, and people are able to make new things like they couldn't before. And it just it's, there's so many more possibilities for everybody to engage in the broader conversation. Yes, I, it felt very siloed when we were kids, and and. Well, yeah, I guess in retrospect it does. I don't yeah. th- it didn't feel that way for me at the time because we didn't this world didn't exist and therefore one didn't know but but no, I think that's all true. I I and I don't mean to be contrarian. It it is also the case that however that 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 um that sort of instantaneous and mass sociality that can be brought to bear like can can be get it can turn kind of ugly like sure. the shaming p- yeah. stuff that happens to people and that that stuff you know uh, pe- some very ugly parts of human behavior can get unleashed as well. Yeah. And so, you know, bitter with the sweet, I suppose. Yeah. I feel like we should have another conversation one day about whether it's getting better in general. I've had this conversation before, you and I have, with other people too. Mm. Uh, you know, what, what's it like to be a kid in school these days? Yeah, and you I know, really don't feel like I have a sense for you, that. You remember that, well, we talked about this in that uh, one-off um, uh, hold-up podcast that we yeah. did right and we're thinking about Weird science. <laughs> in the 1980s uh high schools right this whole like bullying nerd jock thing there was a whole dynamic that i just wonder it's different now yeah it, it may not it's gotta be, be but i feel like you know we've had this argument with with my son and other people i feel like it's much better now i i feel like there's uh but you know i'm an old person so what do i know right yeah we'll talk another time about this um can we can we cause call a pause um, I'm getting these error messages about not being able to connect to email, and that's making me extremely anxious. Oh, I'm going to leave that in, but we'll, so, we'll pause here for technical difficulties. Didn't I tell you we'd throw an error in this podcast? Boom. 404, Joe's email not found. Yeah. All right, should we go to feedback? Sure. I'm trying to remember where you we were, and I think one of the ones we wanted to talk about, um, or that we didn't talk about last time, was this feedback from listener Ryan, uh, who says that... Uh, Stats. We need more stats. Yeah, more stats. I wonder if you've considered a show dealing with the use of probability of causation. And and Ryan happens to be a statistician and epidemiologist. It's very cool. And yeah, absolutely. Um, and he hears that one of us has a history in math before turning to the dark side. Uh, it'd be fascinating to hear about the use of stats in proving harm. And he has a particular person in mind. You know, we've done... Uh, a, a, it almost feels like... I don't know. We we did. You remember that episode where we talked about um, data st- visualization? Yeah, data and, visu- visualization of yep. uh, wrongful convictions, yep. and um, so we've done a little bit of that and the connection between. You know, I don't. That's not really stats, though, is it? No. See, I'm not. I'm a, I'm a math person, but I'm not a stats person. I yeah. never really did any stats at all. Which is, uh, I do think it would be fun to talk to someone who, uh, a a theorist in in. Uh, causation and evidence and uh because this is a I feel like this is a a problem i've seen either in the evidence literature or somewhere i know i've seen there's extensive sort of rumination on this question of statistical proof of of causation other ways of thinking about causation and the legal systems grappling with well, these various about, methodologies yeah and students uh in, in law are familiar you know from the very first year with torts cases where Causation is not the issue, but assigning blame to a particular person. Like, you know, this is the, um, um, what is this? I keep wanting to say national pollution discharge, the MPDES, but what's that? What is it DES? 
Is that the the thing that caused the medication that caused harm to pregnant women? Oh, it was meant to thalidomide. Uh, no, 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 no. It was. Uh, I think it's DES. Okay. Yeah. So this was the DES litigation. Okay. Um, it's, it's a, basically like it's a medication. Lots of companies manufactured. There were, I don't know how many, how many, I don't know if it's a lot, but more than one company manufactures DES. It causes harm. It certainly causes, I think, uh, birth defects. You can prove that it was caused by DES. And then the question is, who's who bears what, uh, which of these companies actually caused the harm? And so they assigned damages based on market share. Hmm. And so that's, I mean, that's one sense in which the question of causation and the statistics of causation here, it's a relatively easy calculation, um, are taken into account. And there's a lot of like discussion for in the first year that go, that goes around that. Like, yeah. is that, you know, cause the, the typical legal model is you have to prove that one, that another person is responsible for, uh, the harm. And then you can hold that person liable. And this is looks at justice in a more statistical sense. And of course, what uh, listener Ryan uh, refers to is uh, he mentions the Walmart versus Dukes litigation, the question of, right. you know, statistically, we know there's a lot of discrimination going on, can use a class action to get at this structural harm, even though in individual cases, it's hard to say. This is a really interesting question. It is. Like, it is. And a deep, it turns out to be a deep problem uh, and a uh, a real challenge to thinking about the perspective the law should take on accountability and responsibility and um and recovering for harm do you know that we both got a particular chicago law professor's last name wrong or uh, family name isn't that what have we agreed on family name we have agreed on family name (laughs) and we did both get it wrong although i have to say i think speaking of responsibility he bears some responsibility for that. After all, uh, <laughs> if you're going to walk around with a family name that is spelled in just the way to encourage at least three or four different pronunciations, all but one of which turned out to be incorrect in your case, I mean, aren't you partly to blame? No, I don't think so. No? That, that's the, almost the definition of family name is that you're not, you're not to blame for it. Touche. Mm, <laughs> Um, <laughs> I, so, so this is William, uh, Bode. Bode and we know this, you can listen to the podcast, uh, university of Chicago law yeah. school podcast series. And he's been on at least a couple of those. And, yes. and so we have it from, uh, I won't say the horse's mouth, but from William Bode himself from his mouth. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, and so that's definitive. Our apologies to William Bode. That's definitive and determinative. Our but, sincerest but, apologies. But his family name is spelled B-A-U-D-E. Yeah. So um bode is how he pronounces it um but uh you said bod and i think i, I said, said bod and i, I said think, bowed i think and what it reminds me of is um you know the internet connection the modem the yeah modem. the 2400 baud to me it reminded me of the of that modem word that speed word for modems mm-hmm. and then um bowed of course would be the german pronunciation of that particular pair of vowels like mm-hmm. in the name brown yeah, but you would never a u n in German. You'd never just say bowed. You'd say like Bowden Schlitzen, something like that, right? You'd have to. It would have to. <laughs> that may be. Are but there any one syllable words in but German? But allow me to make my point, okay. which was the the that vowel pair would yes. be pronounced in that way. Okay. Um, and so your pronunciation was a perfectly serviceable guess yeah. from the spelling. Um, that's kind of you. I, mean, I guess Bode, I interrupted you and tried to make some fun while you were trying to suggest that yeah. I was reasonable. And then, um, in, in French, that 
vowel pair would be o. So mm-hmm. bode, I suppose the the fact that he pronounces it bode suggests it's French. Uh, his family name is French in origin. Oh, um, so we've learned something new. William Bode is actually a Frenchman, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Or or descended of Frenchman. He doesn't seem to have a French accent from you know, from the podcast. <laughs> um, He's well assimilated at this so, point. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, so I would I would suggest that um, that he changed the spelling of his name. God, no. um, I don't suggest that. I think he has a fine name. B O D E. No. If he if it were that you would call him Bodhi or something like that you would find well, a way. I, fair Joe enough. will find I, a way. I, I, it's uh, fair enough. It's hard to it's hard to uh, make something impregnable to all error. <laughs> um, yeah, we got to get him on the show. He's a really fun thinker too. I, I very much. Enjoy, yeah, very interesting. So, and he's been he you know he blogged for a long time in mm-hmm. various places and um, yeah very provocative, creative, interesting thinker. Okay, just a couple more things. Uh, we got listener Jacqueline who emailed about bankruptcy. Was she referring to our bankruptcy or the topic of bankruptcy? <laughs> our moral and, and entertainment bankruptcy. I think that uh, was she, the email that started with the phrase, hey, reprobates. No, no. No, it, no? No, it started with, that a, compl- was a, different it started with a compliment, actually. Oh, but, okay. um, uh, so, you know, she's a law student, I think, and, and, and was surprised about how interesting bankruptcy law is and noted that we have not had a class, I, I had a uh, show on bankruptcy yet. And this could be, you know, like many topics in our show, surprisingly maybe interesting once you dig into it. So yeah. um, I, I don't disagree. Um, Nor do I. So duly noted. Uh, she also talked about um, acquiring financing and the uh, M&As. And it, this stuff can sound kind of boring to people who aren't into it. But now there's a move toward crowdsourcing and right. how does all this stuff. Oh, that, and that is very interesting, like Kickstarter and the Jobs Act and all that stuff. We should have Usha on to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, we, we should been trying forever yeah and then she also suggests a judicial guest uh judge rakoff yeah who i've mentioned on the show before uh for his um death penalty opinion way back in the day it'd be great to be great to talk to any judge yeah judge rakoff is welcome on the show anytime any any judge in article three federal judiciary is welcome any judge in one of our many wonderful are you gonna really say are you gonna say any judge sure well, maybe there are a few. Maybe I mean, look, are... I'm not saying I won't ask them awkward questions. <laughs> I mean, if 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 Judge Bybee comes on here, I'm gonna want to talk about torture memos. Sorry, yeah, because right. I mean, it's part of his professional history. Mm-hmm. Seems perfectly reasonable to me to ask. He won't answer, right? And maybe that makes but we, it not we don't great have for we don't podcast have, material. We don't but... have preconditions with our guests. Is that yeah. what you're saying? We don't uh, for them or me. We don't agree not or to you. talk about stuff. And if if we had to, for some reason, we would disclose it to our of listeners. Course. We've agreed not to ask about the torture memos, for example. Right. We would tell you that. But or you know, we've agreed, uh, Judge Calabresi, we will not ask you about your book, Tragic Choices, mm. which would itself be a tragic choice. Yeah, that's a great book because it is a great book. Yeah. One more email I want to talk about and we'll get on with the show uh derek muller <laughs> okay who's i think in the first um paragraph of this email trying to make a play to have us revoke the name of the muller mike and we're just not going to <laughs> we're not going to revoke derek no matter how offensive or obstreperous <laughs> uh no matter how vituperative your condemnations of christians many misjudgments and believe me i i'm i'm second to none 
in engaging in just such denunciations. So get you be get you behind me, Derek Muller. Um, but no matter how vituperative you are, we will not cancel the name of the mic. <laughs> Period. He says that he's used ad blockers for ten years, and then this gem of a sentence. Should I just read this one? Sure. But as Christian is wrong on essentially all matters, from his obsession with Apple to his opposition to the word surname, he, I think, misses the most salient point on the use of ad blockers. Boom. And then goes on to suggest that the most salient point is one that I made. Is that not right? There is an irony there. There is an irony there. Um, And I love this email, actually. I'm just (laughs) um, I, I, I hope for more prodding. Gentle and otherwise. Right. Um, from, from Derek. It's uh, all about the social contract. Well, no, it's and not. And who really breaches it. Yes. Well, I guess that's right. I mean, so he says he's not really worried about privacy violations, in part because he thinks that um, that most of these things which are gathering information about us are going to algorithms, the kind of stuff right. that Frank Pasquale's written about, these and, automatic algorithms. And we actually, yeah. at, the, at the Tech Law Institute episode podcast that we broadcast, the, the, we, you, you mentioned that specifically then. In that episode, yeah. I think. I'm almost positive that you did. Well, we've talked so much about this, it's hard to know what went into yeah. the show and what didn't. But um, I, I feel like there was an item this week about a, a political candidate making use of the data brokers, hmm. though. And, but but yeah, anyway. The, I, the image you get in your mind when it's you know a human being who's poring over some spreadsheet about you, revealing facts about you, that's a different image in your mind than the image of, oh yeah, it's get it's getting my numbers are getting crunched with everyone else's numbers by a by a computer, and it's spitting out some other things that pop, make me get certain junk mail or make me get certain whatever without human intervention. That seems less other intervention other than writing the algorithm itself, right? Right. Um, yeah, that just doesn't seem problematic in the same way. If if it seems problematic at all, it's not the same way. If you think a human being way. will never get the output from that. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it, right? It, right. So, I mean, there, there are two ways some, a human being can be involved, though, Joe. Like, one is to be the person who's pouring over the raw data and assembling a, an idea about you. And one reason you may object to that is because you think they may make wrong inferences. You may sure. object to how they will use the bits of data, et cetera. Yep. Uh, but... The other way a human can be involved is not through the gathering and synthesis and all that, but simply by reading the output, right? So, uh, you know, you have these huge data dossiers built up. And, right, someone and that's reads, what I was just, that's the image clickety I clickety was clickety just clickety Joe Miller is, is, someone, this, is, is a, you know, he, he's a man, but he's a soccer mom. You know, it sorts you into these categories, yeah. right? I mean, and you would object, wait, this is, this is a wrong picture of me. Like, you know, I don't even have kids. I'm not a soccer mom. Um, and I object to these categories from the beginning, right? And, then, and there, but there's a lot more detail in there from these data brokers, and maybe there's a huge dossier about you that's been built up, and it's built built up automatically. But it doesn't mean no person will ever see it. True. Um, maybe it's anonymized, but there's nothing regulatory that says that these things have to be anonymized. What those what those have in common, though, is a concern that might come from a human being actually pouring over the data about me in some way, right? Right. Versus no human being interacts with the data about me because it's all machine driven. Right? right. And Derek is saying one reason why a person might not be particularly concerned about tracking is to the degree you think it's all machine driven. Like who cares? Yeah, but it conflates two things. Oh, right. I mean, it, okay. But, so right. what's the, the conflation? Though? The conflation is, well, that a human, so there's automatic gathering, 
and sorting and use, right? Mm -hmm. All that can happen. Yes. Um, And he's saying that he's not as worried because that is happening automatically. And it's not a human being, as he says, uh, not a personally identifiable dossier developed by a human being who knows something about me. But there are two stages there, right? The human being who gathers learns something about you. Yes. Uh, The dossier developed automatically right? That a human being may not be learning in the development of that because it's happening automatically, but it doesn't mean that it can't be read by a human being or it can't course. be used by a human being. So there are kind of two stages. That is a logical possibility. I mean, he's saying, right. But he, he's saying that it, it's not personally identifiable, but that's kind of an assumption that it's not personally identifiable. So yeah, I don't it, think he's conflated something. I think he's highlighting one phase of the, of the information. Well, he's collapsing the two phases together, right? Saying, I'm not worried about it because um, uh, because these are all done by machine and, and I say collapse. I mean, he's correct that if it's really, if machines are really producing things automatically, which who's, and the output of that, of, of that process is, is not identifiable. Right. Now, even if it, it doesn't matter, it gets, but if it's not identifiable, then his privacy is not violated. Yeah. But there's a, but that does a couple of things. One, it, it merges those two phases together, the gathering and the use phase together. But the more important thing is that it assumes that the data which are gathered by machine, A, will be anonymous, right? And two, um, uh, won't be, you can't, uh, won't be identifiable. In other words, you can't do things after the fact to put a name to the formally mm. anonymous data. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, you know, and I sometimes that'll be true, but sometimes it won't be true. Yeah. I don't think it's nuts to worry about this. I mean, I don't think it's nuts to worry about the privacy aspect, even if, you know, I, to, no. just because you're reassured that, hey, this is being gathered by an algorithm doesn't mean that it can't be used toward bad ends. Yep. Um, but I, this is a more complicated conversation. I feel like this is the one that we didn't have with Frank. And Frank's written a lot about this, the yeah. black box society stuff, and uh, that we could have more fruitfully another time. Yes, with with Frank or, or someone else. Or, or Derek. Or Derek. We could, have a, we could even host a debate. No. Isn't that what we do all the time? Maybe. Yeah, we, we argue about stuff, right? And then the name yeah. of the show? It's not a debate. We don't bill it as a debate, do we? Is the whole show a debate? Is this whole series a debate? Is oral argument in well, its basic conception and premise a debate? I might need to leave now if it is. It's not a so debate. Be, so debate sounds like an artifice. It's a, yeah, argument, I, yeah. argument is an organic kind of yeah, debate, right? Yeah, see, that's the thing. Yeah. So, but but here's the part that I that I I thought I did say, and I certainly do agree with Derek about. Um, instead, I use ad blockers for the point Christian raised in, first in the episode that using Ghostry and these other blockers improves performance. Yeah, makes it much faster, speeds it up, reduces the drain on battery, and it's surprising the extent to which they do this. Right, it feels like having a new machine. Now he says that's also you know in terms of social contract, right? He's not, and this was audience members at the at the Tech Law Institute, so, some seemed to take the view that uh, you were you were sort of breaking a deal with the content provider who mm-hmm. is sort of implicitly saying this is going to be ad driven. Right. So and you'll hear you'll hear broadcast TV people talk this way from time to time. Like, yeah, you need to watch the ads because that's what makes this thing go. And they're right about that. I mean, they're well, right. They're, they're right that, right that, that it does make it go. <laughs> Whether you have a moral are. obligation to watch them yeah. is a completely separate issue. And he tries to flip that on its head by saying, "Look, you if if you all make it cr- so crummy, then you're the ones who breached it, not me." Right? Yeah. There has to be reasonableness on both sides. Do you think there's a social contract at all? 
I, I think when people say there's a social contract that someone else has breached, which is not an explicit contract, I think what people are really saying is it, this isn't how it should work. Well, I think there right? can it's be, not, I, I don't think it's, I don't, I don't think it's, uh, I think it's potentially help, quite helpful to talk about the idea of contract as um, an agreement we reach through a course of practice that yeah. unfolds over time. Yeah. Right? Contracts aren't limited to a formalized document that we negotiate over and then sign, right? Contract, the notion of an enforceable, well, that, that's where it falls down because it's yeah. not enforceable. It's not right? enforceable. Um, but but, it's, but it, what I like about it is, is a, a way to say there's a, an agreement uh, of reciprocity that we develop over time through a course of practice. Yeah. And that that means something. It, now, the, of course, the question is, what does it mean? And that's a hard right. question. Um, but it's but it feels like it has some substance to it, to me, and that's what I like about that that way of talking. About but it, it doesn't add. I don't think it adds to that. It it's rhetorical to say that it's a contract, right? Because contract is the name that we give to a practice among private individuals to create binding law among them, and by that we just mean that we will make we will make these behaviors that we identify non optional, in the sense that we will call the state in to enforce the promises that we're making. Yeah. Right. And that would, I suppose that would be a very compressed way to say it, right? A contract is a promise that the courts will enforce. Yes. I mean, we can expand on that. I mean, there are probably people screaming at their, (laughs) at their phones right now. I don't know. know, I think that was pretty good. Well, but but I I think that we can just stipulate that for now, right? That it is, uh, that it is a kind of private law. Where, where law has reference to the state here. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later. Yeah. To say that something is a social contract in the sense that like we have obligations to do something which are not explicit and maybe not even enforceable is, is to me like a rhetorical make weight. No, well, it could be. It could be that. It could also be a way to try to invoke, it's not really law so much as it is a, a tradition in political theory and political science, a yeah. sort of Rousseau uh, social contract. Um, and the, the notion of developing an, an ordered society mm-hmm. of, of reciprocity and obligation. I don't think that's just rhetoric. There is social contract theory that provides the normative foundation for applying binding restrictions on people despite their lack of affirmative agreement to the thing, Right. And this is an explanation for why the Constitution should, for instance, be binding and why we should have constitutions and why those should be binding on people who are born into a society without any agreement to be bound by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it is the essence of society and that you gain from society and there's an implicit contract among all of its citizens uh, basically to be ordered rather than disordered. I think it, but that does, so there is that sense of it, but it doesn't mean that social contract can't also be used as, you know, as, as a, as a make weight to apply in other instances where you want people to do things that you expect. (laughs) Right. Right. I like you You have a, you have a great trope that you use, you use a lot, which is, um, X doesn't mean that it can't be Y. Yeah. That's a sentence you say a lot. And it's fun because it's a way to highlight a transmission belt that the person might 
want to create uh, may not have been created, might not have been created. Yeah. Right. I like that. Well, well, thank you. But, you know, it it goes along again with what we'll probably get to next time. Um, But this idea that so much of what we conceive of as our law, as this seamless, apparently seamless web, in fact, is unstated. I call them voids, right? There's just this, that where assumptions about how things work, fill up these voids. And so it's often useful to remind ourselves that, that just because this one thing happens, which through assumption you've associated with this other thing, doesn't mean that those two things have to go to the, together. In other words, we could reexamine that assumption, which appears to tie these things together. Yeah. And so, Cause it, cause for it instance, could turn here, out that the presence of one is as consistent with the presence of another as it is with the absence of the other. Right. So if you are, if you believe that social contract theory is important to explaining the normativity of the constitution, in other words, the, why the constitution should be binding on people, even those who haven't explicitly agreed to it. Uh, it, it, even if you believe that it doesn't necessarily mean that anytime you find a, what seems to be a natural reciprocal relationship in say the market, that people are doing activity a and other people are doing activity B and those two activities are related and in fact rely on one another. Mm hmm that there is the same kind of social contract occurring. In other words, there's not... Right. It doesn't like the, mean there's the same kind of contract. What it, what it could be a way to say instead would be um, that, the, um, that there is an equilibrium that's been achieved with a kind of reciprocal behavior. Right. And that someone who wants to change one side of it should appreciate that they may be inducing others to simply walk away right and, and therefore something might be lost that's exactly that right. could instead be continue to be gained but you see that's very different than saying that there is a moral obligation to continue the current state of affairs it is and that's why that, in fact it acknowledges there is no obligation to continue the current it, state of affairs and i don't think there's ever been an obligation to uh um even with commercial tv to watch the commercials right right there is a an equilibrium that's been reached because enough people watch the commercials yes so that it funds the programs that and the degree of investment that it funds right it just it just does that's you know if if fewer people watch the commercials i presume they might be less valuable especially if the attachment rate is lower people buy less based on those commercials then television stations would have invested less in the programming, which was meant to attract those eyeballs, right? So mm-hmm. that that's an equilibrium that's occurred. With the web, I think it's kind of the same, right? It it raises whatever funds it's raised before, and but there's never been. I mean, just the very design of the web. The design of the web has always been such that you were never obligated to download each of the elements referenced in a web page. Right. right. They're there for you to, to, they're there to be served to you if you call them correctly. If you call them. But if you decide not to call them because you design a browser that does things differently. Well, I mean, it's one of the very first browsers is Lynx, right? Lynx is a text-based browser. The web was designed to allow that to work. Yeah. Right. So you serve, uh, you know, the very idea of the markup language, the hypertext markup language, HTML, is that it describes all the elements of a page and then a browser interprets that and yeah. calls the resources that it wants. Right. Uh, but it, it, there was, so there's not, you know, even technically from the very inception, there was not a sense of an obligation on either uh, on the side of the server to serve a particular thing or on the side of the consumer to get things. Right. I mean, the 
I, I don't have to put up a web page. If I do put up a web page, it doesn't have to have images. It doesn't have to have, right. uh, it certainly doesn't have to have JavaScript. Right. If, uh, I, if I do, if I want other people's browsers to be able to parse it, I'm mm-hmm. going to need to f- provide it in a particular way. Right. Um, but beyond that, yeah. And, and you know, there's complying I mean, this, with standards is important if you want people to browse it, but yeah. people use the blink tag before you know, it was not, people used Microsoft extensions and a lot of people thought this was bad for the web. Right. But just, um, uh, that were not part of the HTML spec. Right. And, and indeed browser vendors over the years have tried at various times to, to do things that weren't part of the spec. And you can speculate as to the reasons why they wanted to do this, but, uh, things have, things have just happened without yeah. a sense of obligation on either side. Um, with a sense of consequences. So if I'm a browser vendor and I don't support these important standards, uh, maybe I can get away with that now because of my market share with other things, but maybe I won't be able to get away with that in the long run. So Uh, there are, you know, there are certainly from the consumer side, certainly from the consumer side, the very technology, the web does not never even contemplated an obligation to download and to make use of every element. Right. So I don't see, I don't, so I don't see that there's an analogy even in traditional media to an obligation to be the product that the person shipping me the free thing is selling, right? So the, the, the idea that, that, uh, that I'm able to run a newsroom because I can sell my user's eyeballs to advertisers, right? right? And that maybe, and, and maybe everybody knows that's what's up, yep. right? And um, it could be broadcast media, print media. But the traditional media of 30 years ago, that's absolutely what's happening. Mm-hmm. And everyone knows it's what's happening, pretty much. It, it, for Anyone a, who bothers to think about it for, for many years, second, yeah, the classified it. ads sold newspapers, right? right. Uh, I mean, the, the classified I, ads are not necessarily sold newspapers, but they, um, uh, they, they made money, right? They, they massively helped to finance. But there was never an obligation to look at those. Of course. Right? It, not even an implicit one. It just, it worked. Right. And you can, you can take that and you can say, again, I think to, to sort of, um, to avoid loading the normative dice, you can look at it and say, there's, there's an if then statement, right? What we know in this equilibrium is that if you provide this publishing platform for these ads, then people who want to look at them can look at them to a a great enough degree that advertisers will continue to buy them. And that's what allows the paper to exist in its current form. Um, it, another if-then statement would be, if you take away that financial resource, you may not be able to provide the paper anymore. Right? Okay. There's an equilibrium. It could be changed. There can be markets in which sellers find natural ways to impose conditions on buyers. Right. Um, what do you mean by these natural are not ways? Meaning that you can kind of gate access to the product using a natural thing. Like, you know, maybe you have a, uh, you know, if, if I were running a theme park and the only way to it were to cross a, a dangerous river and I had the only ferry to that theme park, it'd be very easy to keep people out of my theme park. Right. I don't, I don't need to use trespass law. I don't need to use a, a detailed contract. It's like you either pay the fee to come over to, you know, I can control access there. Yeah. Um, similarly, if every browser out there interprets JavaScript and there's no good way to block it or there's no way, good way to block ads because just the technology makes it so that you, if the technology made it so that your access to the web were basically all or nothing, 
uh, then this whole system would work. You only get access to my articles if you also download my ads. Yeah. It's, right. This is all a very Larry Lessig law is code kind of construct, mm-hmm. right? That, that design elements uh, of various kinds um, drive experience of various kinds. Let's move to law. And there are all kinds yeah. of choices people can make about that. Let's move to law is code in a different sense. Okay. We have a new poster. A new, a new print in headquarters, we oral do. argument headquarters, that you managed to procure. I did. Do, do you want to tell me something about this poster or this print? Is it, it's a print, isn't it? Or is it a poster? What is it? It is framed. <laughs> Just, I'm trying to get up to speed on your, on your little categories there. I don't know. Um, I mean, it, it, is a, it is a printed poster. Oh boy. Uh, it, I mean, I don't, it, it's a, it, it is, um, produced by the folks at the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Oh yes. And it is a, in print form, content that he delivered recently in an episode called Settled Law, <laughs> the list of his settled legal principles. So don't bring them up again. And when I heard this. Yeah. Uh, Cause someone wrote in about, um, I guess their spouse was citing to them as precedent some conclusion reached in a prior John, uh, Judge John Hodgman podcast episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, this person wrote in to complain that they thought that was inappropriate <laughs> to, to use the holding of a prior episode as a precedent. Uh, and Judge John Hodgman, Hodgman said, no, it's perfectly fine there, uh, as long as it's one of the following <laughs> settled principles, right? So there is settled law within the podcast of Judge John Hodgman. And, and the judge has the power to say what is precedential yes. and what is not precedential. I, he has I the power in as much as we give him the power. Hmm. I'm going to get to that. <laughs> um, and, and so he recited then and there uh, his settled law. And I heard this in the episode that where it was happening. And I thought, this is amazing. This is incredible. And I love the podcast of Judge John Hodgman. It's funny. And I, I love his settled law. Yeah. So I thought we would really, it would, it would behoove us uh, to get a copy of this and they made it available as a, as a print, as a poster print. Mm-hmm. And so I procured one. I procured two, in fact. Because you've got one for yourself and one, and one here for the headquarters. Oral argument headquarters. Which correct. we will display kind of uh, um, Alabama Chief Justice Ten Commandments style. Indeed. In the, in the <laughs> headquarters here, is that yes. right? No, but, but maybe not quite in that style because do we display these because we think that these are enduring truths which are binding on us or because we just love John Hodgman so much? Well, I think more the latter. And, mm-hmm. um, and if, if, if we had the massive stone stele of the Codex Hammurabi <laughs> here, it would not be because we are Hammurabists. It would be... Speak in, for yourself. It would be, <laughs> it would be instead to, uh, you know, uh, demonstrate our affection. And I, I know that that, that that has to be the answer, the latter, uh, because some of the so-called settled law on here is in fact wrong. Mm, oops. That's a mighty strong statement. <laughs> well, let, let me just wrong. read a couple of these things and we'll okay. see, we'll see the flavor. Surely, of some of this, right? surely the, you do not mean to refer to uh, the, the settled law that a hot dog is not a sandwich. We're going to get to that. Well, the first, the first item of settled law is a machine gun is not a robot, which of course harkens to robot, robot or not. The, yeah. the, our, 
the uh, brilliant new brilliant podcast. podcast from Jason Snell and John Syracuse. Yeah. It which truly is fantastic. It's so much fun to listen to, but also entirely wrong, like some of these things. Uh, <laughs> second, <laughs> well, it, it is no less fun for being wrong. It occasionally, Robot or Not, occasionally reaches such levels of such absurdism that it is truly <laughs> a marvel to behold. Well, and it, to like, to. like a machine gun is not a robot and a hot dog is not a sandwich, which is another piece of settled law here. Mm-hmm. It is wrong, not in the sense that that is a wrong judgment. But that that is a wrong question to ask. Mm. Hmm. All right. Well, so we'll get to this because that this is the question we're going to ask today. What is law? Let me just read another bit of subtle law, though, first from, For, from the Hodgman poster. The Hodgman poster. Okay. Uh, people like what they like. Now, this is a principle the judge uses. Yes. Dworkin-like to resolve many to, a dispute. To great effect, by the way. Right. I think he, look, uh, people might not realize this. And I want to get it out there because it's important to me. I believe Judge John Hodgman to be <laughs> extremely wise, yeah, extremely compassionate, mm-hmm. a wonderful thing in our in human history. I think it's really awesome. Did you listen to the episode though, where he admitted to throwing shoes at Elliot Kalin? No, I'm not a completist. Hmm. Uh, about this or about most things. So, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, into every hero, a little rain must fall. Mm. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't either. Am I getting wet? Was I the hero uh, there? And here's another bit of subtle law. Okay. And I, I'm putting a few of these out there so we can explore the kind. So, uh, the driver picks the music. Mm. Now, the driver picks the music. A hot dog is not a sandwich. People like what they like. These are very different kinds of. They observations are. and conclusions aren't they, they? Are. and how do you what do you make of the the different categorization well i see that uh people Think- like what they like is a principle which can form a reason for a decision the driver picks the music purports to decide an entire class of cases definitively it does but a large, hot dog is not largely a sandwich through arbitrary convention because you could just as easily say the passenger picks the music and you would have as good a rule for resolving well, the case. Although if there's more than one passenger, I suppose you could get into some pickles. But in, in a one driver, one passenger instance, it really yeah, matter which flip one of those a coin you pick. to who picks them at you. Right. What you, matters is that you picked it. What, what matters is that you pick it. However, to the extent that the driver picks the music is the better rule, it must be for another reason. There must be another principle which would help you, uh, which would allow you to see that driver picks the music is a better rule than passenger picks the music. If if it's better. If if it's better, right. There must be. And so. And if it isn't better, there's also a reason that makes the passenger rule the better rule. Right. That's true. And, and, and maybe, maybe there's a principle which says that people, all people are equal no matter what activity they're engaging in. And so it's arbitrary. Yeah. It's it's important that it's picked. In which case the, the, the goodness of it truly comes merely from its having been determined. That's right. Like driving on the right side of the road versus the left side of the road. Uh, It solves a coordination problem, and that's that. Right. Uh, A hot dog is not a sandwich. It doesn't resolve any particular case, nor is it an illuminating principle. Doesn't it resolve the case of whether a hot dog is a sandwich? No, because that's not a dispute. Right? It, It could resolve the dispute between people who... Are uh, feel bad because they are arguing about whether a hot dog is a sandwich, <laughs> right? And and then a great uh, deal could turn on the on whether uh, a hot dog is oh, a sandwich. Oh yes, it could. It could turn on that. 
In other words, a dispute could turn on the conclusion about whether a hot dog is a sandwich. Yeah. The so driver that, picks so isn't the music. That what, isn't no. that, in that case, isn't that what is in dispute then? I don't, I, well, I don't think directly. Right? It, Look, it I remember be, in the news a few years ago, there was a case about a lease, a, a lease dispute for a lease in a mall, a shopping mall. Mm-hmm. And it was about the kind of things that could go on at that location in the mall. Mm-hmm. And it was about whether they could make sandwiches. Right. And they were making a particular food product. And I don't even remember right. what it was. So, but yes. Were they making sandwiches Let's suppose or not? they're hot dogs. So, so the dispute about whether a hot dog is a sandwich could be about the validity of someone's ability to have a business at that location in a mall. In other words. A great deal could turn yes. on whether a hot dog is a sandwich. In other words, the conclusion that a hot dog is not a sandwich is instrumental in resolving the dispute about whether they can make hot dogs yes. under the lease. Yes. The dispute is can they make hot dogs under the, le- under the lease, right? The observation that a hot dog is not a sandwich resolves that dispute. It's not an observation. It's a conclusion. The driver picks the music, though, is, the, is, a, is a principle which will decide the case, right? Do you not see the difference between these two things? Not yet. Driver picks the music and a hot dog is not a sandwich? Not yet. I mean, yeah. Driver sure, picks sure the music the is, is, is aimed at the resolution of a case, right? Well, it's what like was that? The driver picks the music is, is, a, is a response to a conflict about who picks the music. Right. And we, and we pick who... It is normative. And we determine who... We, we decide who picks the music so that we won't have further disputes about the music. Right. We know who picks it. We the now have... driver a, picks the music is another way of saying the driver... It, it should be the case that the driver picks the music. Right? It's that should word. Yeah, we have a rule of decision. We have a rule. Of decision. Right. About the music. Whereas a hot dog is not a sandwich, is a free-floating principle that might be plugged in and, and may indeed be critical right. to the resolution of a case. It, but it's not a rule of decision. No. no. I agree. It, it doesn't have any particular dispute in mind, right? And in fact, if we were, we can imagine lots of disputes involving music picking that don't involve, where there are no drivers and we, and we don't know how to answer the case. We don't know how to answer the, the <laughs> dispute, right? Like, so, a driverless car. Right. They're all passengers. Is it the person in the driver's seat? Was that what was important? Uh, that led us to the direct conclusion that the driver should pick the music? Is it, what, right. what is Does it the driver that? pick the music? Does that rule extend to the potential driver? Because I think driverless cars have to have someone there mm-hmm. who could be the potential driver. Is it the person who's doing the most work and has to be the most focused? And mm. so then in a driverless car, the person taking care of the baby gets to pick the music. Everything is the Hart Fuller debate. Is it the person who cannot, who should not fall asleep? So it's the person who... Would if in in uh, in your world and Frank Pasquale's world where there is a manual override? Mm-hmm. Um, my, why do you call that my world? Because I think you prefer manual overrides. I, I I was very taken with the argument that someone made, and I can't remember. It wasn't Frank. It was a. It was a, we had a listener write in too. I think we, right? we did. Who uh, maybe it was Josh Lee? Might have been. No, it wasn't. Josh. About the uh, maybe it was yeah. about the yeah. fact that um, it's it's. Having the manual override is probably necessary to make it acceptable enough for it to become yeah, pervasive. Yeah. Um, and I, and my, I, I think that intuition is correct. Um, yeah, that's a different point, but yes. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so maybe the person who would be in charge of the manual override should be the person who should pick the music, right? So in other words, we don't know for sure because all we know is that the, uh, the driver should pick the music. Right. Right. We don't know why. There's a, there's a further question one could ask so that you could know how that principle should apply or apply by analogy in other cases. A hot dog is not a sandwich, right? doesn't tell you a lot about, maybe it doesn't tell you anything about corn dogs, 
or pizzas or burritos, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But it is a conclusion that could plug into some disputes, either as evidence, as weight, or perhaps so close to the what the dispute is all about that it appears to resolve the dispute. But and only because you accept that principle, right? Only because you accept that. How are you using the word principle? But before you answer that question... So a hot dog is not a sandwich seems to me, at the very least, a datum on the usage of the word and the contours of the word sandwich Mm -hmm. uh, for at least one speaker, Mm -hmm. namely the person who uttered the sentence, a hot dog is not a sandwich. Mm -hmm. It's at least that. Yes, it's a a statement about whether one concept is included within another concept. Yeah. And 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 in the world of law, oftentimes, to resolve a dispute, we have to engage in an active categorization of that sort. Right. Because the parties have, or the public has, um, established a rule of decision that feeds off of the categorization act. So you have to do the categorizing mm-hmm. to then say, oh, okay, so given that, that X is in category Y, you can either proceed with that or you must not proceed with that or I get to imprison you now or uh, et cetera. Yes. I mean, I seems like that's how a lot of laws work. Right. They, they create categories, which, uh, and, and we'll get into categories. It's there. I think the reason that the law uses categories is because there's no other way to do it. It's the way that our minds work. This is going to be, bam. Yeah. When we talk, so I want to talk about, uh, eventually about this theory. Are we done talking about the poster or did you no, want to no, say no, more this, about the, the poster? poster? Well, I don't, do you want to say more about the poster? You said there was some, you wanted to use examples in there of things that you thought were wrong or right or good or bad, or I can't remember. Well, now. so it was no, so, I, it was I, so I, many I, hours ago I, that you said it. The or fact has it that, only been minutes. Uh, the statement, a hot dog is not a sandwich is a statement, right? It, it, it can be used it is set a law. It is well. It, it says right on the top of the poster. Settled, to say that it's set a law, I think, is wrong. The poster says it's set a law, right on the top. I don't think it makes sense to ask whether a hot dog is a sandwich uh, and expect an answer without knowing why you're asking that question. Well, fair enough. Okay, so this gets us to so imagine there's a law. Uh, so, so I, I actually had this problem in, on one of my um, exams one time or, or practice exams where. This, there was in which, some in which course some, modern some, American legal theory or uh, this is actually leg reg. Okay. So legislation, regulation, so statutory interpretation thing. Leg reg. Yeah. No leg reg. Leg reg. Uh, anyway, imagine there's been some kind of food poisoning incident Whoa. at a, at a, at deli counters. Foods left out too long. Mm. There's a problem. Um, it can happen with a and it happened with a sandwich, right? And maybe, maybe, a... yeah, maybe the problem is that you know the, the bread is one temperature and the stuff inside it is a different temperature, and they put them together, and this is like there's some cross contamination. I don't know what the problem is, but it relates to sandwiches. Okay, okay, it relates to the. I'm going with bad mayo. One kind of food being in contact with another kind of food, right? And it creates food poisoning. Yeah, and there's some, and maybe a child died. Good lord! So it's terrible, right? And in response, now this is not true. Okay, okay. This is hypothetical. Uh, although, although it is true, people have died of food poisoning. You're, but you're saying this is hypothetical. This is hypothetical. And there's an immediate response, a legislative response, which um, uh, requires notice of all ingredients contained in sandwiches. Okay. So if you serve sandwiches at a, at a these are pre-made sandwiches that you buy out of a deli counter. So maybe the regulation says that a pre-made sandwich must disclose 
its ingredients. Okay. And the sandwich doesn't disclose, but the, you know, the seller must disclose the ingredients contained in a pre-made sandwich. Okay. If I go to a sandwich store and I order my meat and cheese and whatever else, I wouldn't order meat, but you know what I'm talking about. I do. Uh, then maybe you don't have to disclose because you know what's in it because you're ordering this stuff, right? So we're talking yeah. about things which are wrapped in the and, and it's not pre-made because you, yeah, you walk exactly. in and they make it for you on the fly, as yeah. it were. And it's clear from the legislative history that, that that's what they had in mind, right? Pre-made sandwiches, which are all put together and you assume you know what's in it and it may even say, hey, this is a tuna sandwich or something like that, but you don't know everything that's in it. And so maybe this is from an allergic, I've set this up wrong. Maybe it's from an allergic reaction. And so unless you know everything that's in it, you don't, you might get something that you're allergic to. Yeah, this doesn't really sound like food poisoning as much as it does like not knowing yeah, that it you, has nuts. I can change the facts. Maybe I, you have a nut allergy yeah, or something. Just start this whole thing over again. But um, yeah, you have an allergy or you have, uh, uh, it could be food poisoning if there's some kind. Anyway, it doesn't matter. There's some regulation like this, right? <laughs> and, uh and then the question is, like, someone wants to sell hot dogs or burritos. Actually, in my hypothetical, it was a it was a wrap, like, you know, one of those tortilla yeah. wraps. And they're selling a pre-made wrap. And and people who love burritos, like I do, uh, would hate the idea that, um, first of all, that you would even call something in saran wrap, which is encased in a tortilla, which has various things in it, a burrito. Okay. But let's assume we get past that purest point. Let's. Is, a, is the burrito or the wrap a sandwich? And the reason why it matters yeah. for that person who's running that store is because if if they want to comply with the law um, and they would prefer not to go to the expense and trouble of doing the disclosure, they have to decide, right? Well, but if it's a sandwich, I have to do the disclosure, even though I would prefer not to, or face the punishment, whatever that might be. Uh, so it really... It, it matters. The answer to the question matters in yeah. this concrete way because the law has made it matter. And someone may eat one of these things where there was no disclosure and get very sick uh, for whatever reason. Right. And then want to sue. Or, 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 or there could if, be criminal charges. Or, or even or, if no one had eaten it and been harmed, it could be that there's an inspection regime in place. Mm-hmm. So an inspector might come in and say, why is there not a disclosure for uh, the things you're selling? And you say, ah, because they're not sandwiches. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, different ways that you could arrive at a moment where making this categorization decision was significant. And look, this is a silly example, although there could be, you know, there could be serious consequences. I don't think it's silly. It's homely, but But it is, uh, but it's, it's, it's not silly. I can think of other examples though, uh, which are not perceived to be as silly, um, is a, is an embryo, a human being. Okay. Right. Um, is a um, is a taser a gun? Mm. You know, uh, so you, you can think of this is throughout the law. You know, is um, is blackmail speech? Mm. Um, you know, is so in, is, is this particular set of activities uh, performed by a police officer a search? Right. Every patent infringement question is this kind of question because so, a patent claim right. is set up as a verbal boundary around uh, a behavior that you can't do without permission. So every one of the, every, every one of them is this kind of question. So let's see where this takes us. If we really want to know, why do people disagree about the law? Like what's, are, are some people right and I some people we were wrong? going to talk about what the law is. Well, yes, that's exactly where this is going to land us. Wow. Because I think that when we, what when we think law? about disputes like this, we are driven, as uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes wrote in The Path of the Law, 
all the way to the bottom of things, right? The, the, if you really want to be good at the law, to know how to do it, right? You have to be able to get to the bottom of things. And so these cases that ask, is a burrito a sandwich or is a hot dog a sandwich? Um, and it's not. <laughs> it, it might be, well, it might be, right? Uh, to answer these questions, now let's put it this way, to make an argument about this, you kind of have to know what your what the point of things is. Why are you doing this? Why are we asking whether a burrito is a sandwich? Why are we asking whether a hot dog is a sandwich? And when people disagree, is it because one side is wrong? Or is it because there are two ways of looking at it? Is it because things are indeterminate? There is no answer? Is it because there are answers, but they're very difficult? Uh, is it because we are entitled to take political positions on this and the word sandwich doesn't actually mean anything so it's just a way for judges to kind of cover up what they're really doing which is deciding how a particular case should come out what's going on when we decide when we get a case asking is the burrito a sandwich to figure out whether this deli owner should go to jail or have to pay a fine Mm -hmm. and we have to resolve it and one side gets up and says hey i've looked in webster's dictionary and I've looked up the definition of sandwich and it says stuff about bread and it's, you know, this is the debate between uh, um, Posner and Scalia and Garner, on the other hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it says stuff about bread and stuff between bread. But on the other hand, like everybody knows, this is not a sandwich. I can think of plenty of cases that seem to fit the dictionary definition of sandwich, but where everyone would say that's not a sandwich, right? Um, is a hot dog a sandwich? If the bun is kind of cut at the back, you know how it sometimes happens. Yeah. Like, uh, and it, it's, you get mad, right? You mean when you break the bun all the way through? When you break the bun all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. And then they kind of are slopping around on each other. Yeah. When you yeah. cleft your bun in twain, it's not good. <laughs> right. But stuff if, falls out. Is it not a hot dog when that happens? Does it cease to be a hot dog when the, when the bun is cut in two? No. But isn't that a, a piece of meat between two pieces of bread now? Yeah. I, look, all I'm, <laughs> you're trying to get me, what are you trying to get me to say? I, I don't know what I'm trying to get you to say. Okay. Because I don't know what you want to say. Okay. I'm just asking the questions. Uh, like, how would you go about answering these questions? How, how would you... So, suppose this case came to you. Is a, is a hot dog a sandwich or is a burrito a sandwich from from a very real... And again... And like, we're talking about the store where they're, where it's a labeling it's a labeling right. requirement. It's a disclosure yes. requirement for uh, for food safety. People aren't having an abstract argument about whether a hot dog is a sandwich. They're having right. a very concrete argument about whether somebody broke the law and whether they broke the law depends on whether the law which says you have to do something with respect to sandwiches applies to burritos or hot dogs well if i were a judge and i had the dispute before me i would and 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 the question was is this selling these wraps or burritos um without disclosing the ingredients does that violate the rule that says you have to disclose your pre-made sandwich ingredients i would say yes it violates that rule yeah no, this but, is a sandwich for purposes of this rule uh, yes i would say that okay and and uh, i'm more interested in why than the fact well, that you the, would the why is because the the food safety issue presented by that the preparation of that very similar food stuff mm-hmm. is the same so i would think that given that the purpose of the rule was to promote public safety for these kinds of foodstuffs in this very specific way, and that it would promote safety for this food item, which again is quite similar, uh, I would say, yes, this is within the scope of the solution the legislature enacted. A hot dog wrapped up in saran wrap, same way. Yeah, of course. Okay. And 
And, and, but similarly, um, maybe not so similarly, uh, if you said, Hey, Christian, uh, can you grab a sandwich for me on your way back home? Right. It's, maybe we're going to record and, yeah. and it's lunchtime and you say, you know, can you just pick up sandwiches on yeah. your way back to headquarters? I would not expect them to be burritos. And I showed up with a hot dog. Okay. Or I wouldn't expect it to be a hot dog either. Would you, would you say that I complied or did not comply with your request? Um, I would say, well, I, I, Joe Miller would say, um, that I'm, I'm surprised, um, but delighted. <laughs> Because I like a good hot dog. Yeah. All right. So, uh, but it's imagine something. But I, but I would say I wouldn't have thought when I said bring sandwiches in the image in my mind would not be hot dogs or hamburgers or burrito. Would you say that I followed your instructions? I mean, if you said I really want a sandwich, you really wanted so, a sandwich. So please, please bring a sandwich. So I request that you please bring me a sandwich. Yes. Um, now, as an aside, if you requested a sandwich and you were very explicit about that. Showing up with a hot dog is exactly the kind of thing that I would do to needle you. Yeah, but that only proves the truth that we would both know that it wasn't a sandwich. Because <laughs> it wouldn't needle me if it, if it were a sandwich, right? Yeah, that's right. So we, we both would have realized that it was not a sandwich. So I didn't follow your rule. If, if your rule between the two of us were I should come back with sandwiches and I came back with hot dogs, you would say you didn't. You, you, you would point to that poster. I would say. And you would say a hot, hot dog, dog is, is not, not a sandwich. sandwich. Right. Yeah. So what you're really saying is that whether a hot dog is How a sandwich. How did I do? You didn't, you didn't grade my judging I, I, there. Well, my whole point is that, there, you, that you can't really judge. Oh, I want you to say that I did a good job. <laughs> well, I think did what, I not do what, a you've, good job? what you've illustrated is that the question in the abstract, is a hot dog a sandwich, is ill-posed. Because in order to know the answer, you have to know why you're asking. I'm, I'm nothing if not ill-posed. <laughs> um. <laughs> so when people, so let's suppose we have two judges. How, get, would you both, resolve, how would you have resolved that case with the burritos wrapped and I would, sold? I would, I would do just, I would be purposivist about it just and pragmatic about it. So it'd be some, kind of, what I was? some kind of Posner Miller judge. Is that what I was? Yeah, I think so. Okay. You're asking like, why did they, you know, why do they use the word sandwich here? And does it seem to be the same situation? Exactly. Or nearly enough so that I ought to treat it the same. Yes. And, and I would, in this situation, you know, arising as it and did. And I would explain it that I way. I would conclude There's that no the, reason not the, to explain the regulation it on sandwiches probably came about because, and it makes sense, you know, a pragmatic way of reading what's going on there is this stuff which is hidden in bread so that people can't see what's inside of it. Right. And there, sure, there might be other items in a deli counter prepared in such a way that the foods are hidden, but, but you couldn't possibly say or part of a sandwich yeah. right and then, so the legislature may need to do a better job a more expansive job right but you know a hot dog is hiding stuff in bread uh, a burrito hides stuff in a tortilla yep. uh, and so i would say that yes this is this is and of I a piece and i wouldn't feel as a, as a judge in that situation i would not feel that um i w- that i was prevented from reaching that conclusion by the fact that the legislature could have said sandwich or like product Right. Um, But they didn't say that. Instead, they just use the word sandwich. Well, no. And then I can't rule that way. That that seems to me to be um, uh, sort of intentionally. That to me is not faithful agency. So here comes Judge Mueller dissenting. Okay, I'm just going to say he's going to dissent. Do you think he would dissent from this? I haven't heard the ground for the dissent yet. Well, the dissent is um, a hot dog is not a sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) 
see Judge Hodgman or see Webster's fourth or whatever. See, see, right. you know, this thing which says that a sandwich is two separate pieces of bread with something, you know, you could probably find a dictionary that would support this rule. Okay. And support also the rule that the burrito is, does not need to be labeled because it's not quote a sandwich according to this dictionary. Right. And, and you could also take a kind of original public meaning approach, which is uh, if you were to survey the people who were around at the time of the enactment about what they thought that word meant, and maybe even that word in context, uh, they would be surprised, just like you were surprised, right? When I came back to headquarters with hot dogs after you'd requested sandwiches. Yeah. And so the insight of, of, uh, of kind of public meaning is that you should, that the, the, the way you interpret those words should track those kinds of expectations. Right. Right. Not about how the law will be applied, but about what the words mean. Mm-hmm. I, I think we both agree one could make that argument. Yes. Right. One could also l- go back to the legislative history and look at the debates that occurred and try to figure out whether anybody mentioned burrito. And we could agree. We could disagree about that, too, whether one should do that. Right. Yep. We could disagree about that or agree about that. We could we might find that at the time the law was passed, everybody referred to burritos as sandwiches, but now no one does. And we could disagree about whether that original, what people thought back then mattered or what people think now matters. Mm-hmm. Hmm. True. We could disagree about these things. Why do people disagree about the law? Why, you know, oh, what's that the... seems quite different from the question, what is law? Maybe it isn't different. Hmm. Is it different? I think it's not very different. Hmm. So what you've just claimed is answering the question, why do people disagree about the law, will go quite a distance toward answering the other question, what is law? Knowing what it is and knowing right. why people disagree about it are part and parcel of the same enterprise. Yeah, and this is not new, this is not new to me. I mean, this is the, I under- the I essence understand of that. The, right. I'm not asserting yeah. it is new to you. I'm just trying to get a track on what you're saying. Right. That when people are... Um, Taking account of the of why people disagree and how they disagree is basically to talk about what we're doing when we do law at all. So, ah, so you've just indicated you think law is an activity. Hmm. Right? Yeah. Because you said when we're doing law. Mm-hmm. The law is a thing you do. Yeah, and in fact, I say that the what is law question that seems so philosophical, and is philosophical. It is. Is really a question about what, we're, what it is that we're actually doing when we do law. Okay. And that these... What are we doing? So when people make an argument about whether a burrito is a sandwich for purposes of resolving this particular dispute, they may make arguments about this, that, or the other, about precedent, about this, about this other thing. Mm-hmm. What, what are they actually doing, though? They're assuming a lot, right, when they, when they make these arguments. Don't you think? I mean, they're... They, they, assuming a lot. Yeah. It takes a lot for granted. It takes a lot for granted. To have this conversation. Because you could always ask why, right? You could always, why, 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 why? And, when I was a little kid, they would say, what's Joe's favorite letter of the alphabet? And I would go, why? Because <laughs> I was constantly asking why things were the way they were. Let's talk well, about another case. Okay. That was kind of a cute little vignette, though, I just made I, for you. I just, I, yeah. Because I was a cute... Habit. I'm letting it hang out there. Okay. What? <laughs> so you got you got several explorers down in a cave. Ooh. Sounds very Falerian. Mm. And there's a and there's a cave in. And a rescue effort is launched, but they can't be rescued and they would they'll all starve to death before yeah. they're going to be rescued. However, 
they could stay alive long enough for the rescue to be accomplished if they killed and ate one of their number. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now, they have communication with the surface, and so they know how long the rescue is going to take. Uh, they know for sure it can't be done in a shorter time. Uh, they also go over this possibility and ask whether this is something they should do. Should they kill and eat one of their numbers? And they get no response. Nobody's willing to say whether this would be acceptable. No one from above is willing to say, yes, go. Or or, uh, presumably no one from above is willing to say, absolutely not. Don't you dare. And one of their... Am I right on that? Yes. Okay. No one's willing to prohibit or... or, Yeah, say yay or nay. Uh, And these... Uh, cave explorers. And presumably there's already a prohibition on murder. Yes. Now we hey gang, we're going to continue this conversation in the next episode and from there try to see if there's a way to you know, talk about this philosophical question of law in a way that's not frustrating to all of you, our listeners. Uh, and in a way that does something I very much want to do, which is, um, well, to talk about what we think, and in particular uh, about uh, what I've been working on. And if we can find a way to do it that's not frustrating uh, without going into too much detail, we'll do it. Anyway, hope you've enjoyed this one. Uh, see you next week. Bye.